you, you should really try to dive into this stuff and see all the benefits that that you can get out of Bitcoin besides just watching your account balance in Coinbase be worth more and more money every day. Hello there from Bedford in the United Kingdom. As you know, it's the Bitcoin capital of the world. How are you all doing? I've just woken up to a very interesting tweet from Elon Musk discussing how Tesla are running their own nodes, how they're going to be accepting Bitcoin, and how they're not going to be converting that back into fiat. It's a pretty bullish start to the day. Amazing stuff. Anyway, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by the mighty Kraken, the best place to buy, sell, and trade Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I've got another tech update with Shinobi, and this time we're going to be getting into wallets. But before that, I do have a message from my show sponsors. And first off today, we're going to kick off with a wallet. So, Exodus Wallet. Now, as some of you know, I've been having some banking difficulties. My bank, Lloyds, wrote to me and gave me 65 days notice and said, Pete, we're closing down your bank accounts. They don't like what I'm doing. I suspect it's because of Bitcoin. So because of that, I've had to rethink a lot about the way I operate my business. And one of those things is that I am increasingly accepting Bitcoin I'm increasingly holding Bitcoin, and I'm increasingly paying people with Bitcoin. And my accountant, at the end of each month, was getting a bit annoyed with me. She was like, Pete, I need an audit of your transactions, who you're sending it to, who you're receiving it from, when's it happening? And I was pretty shitty at my record keeping. So when Exodus reached out to me, I took a look at their wallet, and I was like, okay, this works for me. I can use this for my business. So I signed up. And I said, yeah, become a sponsor. And I'm very happy with it. It's been a very useful wallet for me for managing my Bitcoin. Now, if you want to check it out, please do head over to exodus.com or do search for Exodus in the Apple or Google app stores. And next up, we have another wallet solution. We have Casa. Now, Casa, for me, is the very, very best in Bitcoin security because they offer a multi-sig solution. And I was considering this. It was coming up to a year ago now. And I was thinking, look... This single hardware wallet solution, just it isn't working for me. It's too risky. There's too much room for error. I don't want to get attacked. I don't want to get hacked. I don't want to make a mistake myself. So I reached out to Nick. I was like, come on, man, hook me up. So I signed up and I became a Casa customer. I've been very happy with it since because I feel like I'm protected from all those issues you can have with a single wallet. Now, Casa do have a product for every Bitcoiner. So if you are interested, you should check them out because... With Casa Gold, you get triple the security of a single hardware wallet, and that is only $10 a month. If you look at Casa Platinum, you can get their 3 or 5 multi-sig, and with Casa Diamond, which I think I'm going to upgrade to because my upgrade is coming soon, you get their full service offering. That includes a customized personal security review, inheritance planning, and of course their best in class in security. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind, and you can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. And lastly, right now, we have sportsbet.io. And if you've been following me on Twitter, you will know I've convinced them to run a competition. I've convinced them to give away a Lamborghini. Look, I know some of you don't like cars. I'm sorry. I like cars. I've always liked cars. And I've convinced them to give away a Lambo to somebody who listens to my podcast or follows me on Twitter. Now, we're working out the mechanics. It probably will be a competition on their website, playing one of their games, I'm going to find out what it's going to be, and I'll let you know more about that soon. Now, if you do want to check out sportsbet.io, they do have every market you could possibly be interested in. They've got football, tennis, American sports, motorsports. They've even got esports, and they accept Bitcoin. Now, if you want to find out more, you just need to head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions, which is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O forward slash promotions. 
Okay, so on to the show with Shinobi. And look, I know these tech shows don't do the most amount of downloads, but they're really important. The two-part noted episodes were great for me, and I'm learning so much. If you listen to this one, you're going to see where I actually come to understand a part of Bitcoin I never really truly understood when we go through this. Now, I've just used wallets kind of in a, I don't know, without really thinking about it. I mean, when I first got myself a, a ledger, I, I just like plugged it in and used it. I've never really thought wallets through. So this was good to go through with Shinobi and, and find out a bit more. Now, before I get into it, look, I have to be fully transparent here. I do have wallet sponsors. I have Exodus as my desktop wallet. I do have Casa as my multi-sig solution. And Ledger are also a sponsor. So I do talk about them. But like full transparency, they are sponsors. Now, wallets do come in all shapes and sizes. You have desktop and mobile wallets. You have hardware wallets. And you have multi-sig solutions. And trying to figure your way through these, especially when you're first into Bitcoin, can be quite tricky. So I wanted to break these down in the most simple way possible with Shinobi. So if you are new to this and you're just trying to find your way, you would get as much out of this as possible. Some people will end up using a combination of solutions. They might have a software wallet on their phone with a few bucks in it. They might have a hardware wallet for a bit more. They might have a multi-sig solution for their deep cold storage. And it's all about journey. You just go on a journey with these wallets and learn about how they work, the trade-offs and understanding security. So I think... Anyone who listens to this, if you go through it and you're like, "Mm, still don't fully understand it, just remember you're going on a journey. Start out basic and build up your knowledge and confidence. So Shinobi does a great job as ever, does a really great job of breaking down the trade-offs and me and him go back and forth on a couple of areas, different types of wallets at different points, and he also covers some best practices. So I hope you get a lot out of this. I know some of you are really enjoying these tech updates. And if you've got any questions, you can reach out to me. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com and I will get back to you as soon as possible. Outside of that, please do go and check out my other show, Defiance. That's at defiance.news and sign up to my newsletter. That's at neveredit.com. All right, have a great rest of your week and I'll see you all on Friday. Shinobi, man, how are you? How, how fucking hungover are you? Very, very hungover. <laughs> what were you doing, dude? Were you... We out in the razzle dazzle. I was drinking lots of beer and arguing about Bitcoin. <laughs> who are you, who are we arguing with? Ah, uh, just some buddies in our secret dragons den internet chat. Is is that like on one of those weird uh, secret channels that I can't even set the software up for? Yep. Although you've been there. Oh, is that the place we recorded the uh, one of your shows on? Mm-hmm. Block Digest. Uh, yeah, that's that shouldn't make any sense to me. Anyway, man, how you been? Uh, doing all right for the most part, except uh, to just yeah. Let, let, let's just not even go there. Uh, let's just say uh, <laughs> people should be arguing ideas and not people. Okay. So I don't want to get into that because, like, this I've got I've got friends on both sides. Yeah, well, like I said, at some point this year, <clears throat> I'm going to take over and make an outline about said topic, and we're going to go through the idea and not people. Join the drama, Peter. Bitcoin no, Twitter I've got drama my own. is calling you. I've already got my own drama going on, dude. Always, everywhere, in every fucking direction. I, I managed somehow to piss off the shitcoiners and the Bitcoiners at the same time. <laughs> I managed to piss everyone off. Oh, that means you're doing your job right. 
<laughs> yeah, you know, you know, someone said that to me earlier. They were like, I think it's American Hoddle I was talking to. He said, if you're not pissing someone off, you're not doing your job right. Yep, a hundred percent. Yeah, I'm pissing off people by the the, the pure the pure thought that you could potentially even think about spending some of your Bitcoin is triggering people. Hoddle, hoddle forever. I just spent Bitcoin last time I went to the grocery store. All my money is Bitcoin. <laughs> Like when when Shinobi buys heathen? things, how do you think he buys them? <laughs> just don't just don't buy. Just don't buy anything. You gotta huddle forever. <laughs> Starve? Uh, it's not too Get appealing. Get in the bins, dude. It's, it's not around the back of the restaurants. This doesn't sound too appealing. <laughs> anyway, before we get into day to 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 today's show. Let's talk about nodes very quickly. So I've completely fucking given up on the uh, Mac Mini. So that was uh, a. It's pounds. there. You you just had to let it sink. Let it sink again. You 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 did it. It was there. It's hooked up. Come on, no, man. It just, dude. It just wasn't working. So I've gone back to Umbro. Uh, I bought a new SSD, which was the one they recommended, and uh, this one I'm not having any problems with. So the SSD, the one I was using before, which was the one I got for my camera, obviously was too power intensive. I think that was what was. Uh, Causing the problems with the node, so I've um, mm-hmm. so I've uh, bought the one they recommended, and it is syncing fine, man. And uh, I think I'm going to be okay. And I'm going to then connect that to Spectre um, and the Flangy Pangy, and send you some Bitcoin secretly somehow. It's gonna well, work. I mean, like I said, Peter, people should take a stab at doing it without the whole stack that just does everything itself. But you know, do what mm-hmm. works for you. Uh, so let me ask you: Did you get much feedback on those two shows? Because I've I've had more people. It's a weird one, right? The tech shows don't have the biggest amount of downloads because it's not like if if the show title was "Set up your node Bitcoin to one million, it probably would. But it's just about nodes because it's technical. They don't do as well as like the Moon Juice ones. But at the same time, more people have written to me about the node show than any other show. I reckon at least two hundred emails. Yeah, I mean, I've been getting a bunch of DM requests, and I think here's the best place to say this. Um, you know, mm-hmm. if you send me a message request and you don't get a reply, you know, sorry, I'm not trying to say fuck you or anything, but I only have so much time in the day, and I have to juggle a lot of shit most days. But you've had a few on this one. I've had loads, and funnily enough, I've had uh, a lot of positive feedback. More so on the second one, where I was kind of like talking through my issues as I was having them, and people coming back and saying, oh, "I thought I was the only one. I thought I was a complete moron." Uh, even people who are like techies and developers saying, "Look, I'm a techie. You know, I find this stuff hard." So I think it was useful. Um, uh, and despite everyone like some of the hardcore Bitcoiners think I'm a moron, I I think it was useful what we did. So anyway, listen, I'm gonna get Umbro set up. I'm gonna get. Spectre set up. I'm gonna get my flangy pangy set up and I'm gonna I'm gonna make it all work somehow. But we're here to talk about wallets today, dude. Yes indeed. So I mean, is there really much to talk about with wallets? Because like I've got a ledger, I've got a well, I don't really use treasure. I want to talk about that in a second. And I've got a coal card, right? And I just plug it in and it works. Like, what's there to talk about? Do we actually need to talk about this? <laughs> well, everything. I mean, you know, that ledger, that cold card, technically speaking, mm-hmm. that's not the wallet. 
like that just holds the keys that sign things. Like a wallet needs to track the actual balances on chain. It needs to put the transactions together for you. That cold card or whatever you're using just signs that transaction and then the wallet spits it off into the network. So it's it's a lot more to a wallet or to keys than just, you know, the the thing holding the key. Like the, there's a lot more steps to there. There's a lot more things to think about. And especially in terms of backing up those keys themselves, I mean, there, there's a decent amount of stuff there too. Like it, it's, you know, it's, it's a lot more than just that, that thing you click sign on. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, the best way to do this, let's, let's play this as if uh, I've just discovered Bitcoin. I've, uh, I've been surfing Twitter and I've found this guy, Shinobi, he's going on about Bitcoin. I'm like, okay, I want some Bitcoin. So I've gone and bought some Bitcoin on an exchange and my Bitcoin sat there. And the next thing I've read is that I need to like have myself a wallet. So and the most, if I was coming to you, but Shinobi, I was like, look, I've heard about these wallets. Like what the hell is a wallet? What would you say it is? A wallet is either a thing or a combination of things that allows you to track your balance, see when you've received money, spend money you've received, and manages the actual private keys used to authorize those transactions. That can be a single thing, a single device or a piece of software, but that can Mm -hmm. also be multiple things like a, a device and a separate piece of software working together. Like all of those different parts of that aren't necessarily going to be part of the same software or the same device. Okay. Do you think it's fair to say a wallet, you could also describe it as a little personal Bitcoin bank account? I mean, in in non-technical terms, yeah, that's a, a general way to describe it. I just, I don't think it it gets across the kind of separation of the different things that it does good enough. You know what I mean? But if I think about it in terms of my online banking, if I go into one of my bank accounts, I can see my balance, I can uh, receive money, and I can send money. So, Okay, you know, that's actually yeah. a good way to put it because I can, now that I think about it, because <clears throat> you're thinking like you log into the bank account, the bank website, well, you put your password into that, but the password isn't on that website. You know what I mean? Like to get yep. into that account, yeah, yeah. like there's that separation there, kind of like I'm talking about with like tracking your balances and maybe the thing that actually holds the keys and the science stuff. All right. So I've realized I need a wallet. I, uh, I've been told I need to get my coins off, an ex- off the exchange I'm on. And what are my options? Like I've been out and I've looked and I've seen there's such thing as a paper wallet. Seen there's hardware wallets. I've seen there's software wallets I can download to my computer. I've seen there's wallets on my mobile phone. Like, I'm sure there's others. Like, which should I be going for? What is the difference between them? Let's start, okay, John, let's go old school. Let's start with the paper wallet. Are they dead? Is that as a concept? Is that dead? Really? I would say in 99% of people's cases, yes. And the simple reason is that. When you generate a paper wallet, it's just the private key and the public key to send money to on a piece of paper. So you generate that on your actual regular computer. 
you have to print that out through your printer. And, you know, nowadays, every printer has Wi-Fi. Every printer is hooked up to a network. Most of them are security nightmares. And so, like, if you know what you're doing, yeah, you could still make paper wallets safely nowadays. But, you know, most people, I would recommend do not ever do that. Because that key that's actually holding your money is going to start on your computer. It's going to go from there to your printer. Both of those computers are actually going to have that spending key in it. And it's just that that's a, a dangerous thing, in my opinion, because the whole point right. of that is to keep that key away from computers until you're spending it. And, you know, just nowadays, a normal computer, most people's aren't really that secure. Uh, you know, most printers, I could just drive by your house and if I can get a signal and you have an insecure printer, I can just start poking with that. So like... Yeah, unless you already know what you're doing, really bad idea to start messing with those. Right, that's fair. So, but what that makes me think is that in its most simplest form, a wallet is a public and private key. I mean, it, that's definitely like the most central core part of it. But, you know, there, there's still the, the other aspects of it. Like, how do I find out if there's money on it? So, okay, so that's an interesting that's what we should probably separate separate because go back to when people were using paper wallets i wasn't around then i wasn't you know using paper wallets how would they spend bitcoin would they have to go to a certain website and punch in these keys to do it how would they use their yeah um, um, how, or would they have to load into a wallet you you would have to go get another software wallet that could actually track balances and sign things and pretty much import the private key from the paper wallet into that to be able to spend it. Because obviously, you know, unless you're an autistic monk, math genius, um, you're not signing a transaction by hand without a computer. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the public and private key are the the central components to a wallet but there are other wallets that provide functionality that can increase the things you can do with those public and private keys. Well, I mean, it's, it's, I wouldn't say increase the functionality. It's about you need other things in order to, to use that key pair, period. Like if, if you don't have some way to find any UTXOs sent to that address or that wallet, then... You know, you don't even know you have money. Like if you don't have a computer that can actually take that private key and sign with it, like you can't spend that money. And so it's like, you know, there, there's a lot, the, the private key, the public keys that get generated from them, they're like the central pillar of a wallet. But in my mind, you don't have that wallet without adding those other things, like the the ability to actually okay. find money associated with that or spend that money. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, so I've discarded the idea of a paper wallet. Uh, my options are, I've heard about these hardware wallets, but I've got to order one. It will take some time. I've seen that I can, I can just download a wallet to my mobile phone. Uh, and I've bought like... Say, I'm I'm pretty flush. I bought myself 30, 40 Bitcoin and I've seen these software wallets on my mobile phone. Is that a sensible option for me? Should I should I download a software wallet and transfer that Bitcoin to it? This question 
in my mind, 100% of the time comes down to how much Bitcoin do you actually own? Okay. You know, like if, if you only have, say, $100 of Bitcoin, that might make sense. You know, there, there, it's, it's completely irrational to go spend, say, $100 on a, a hardware device like the cold card if you only have $100 of Bitcoin. Like that's just economically silly. But if you had like $10,000 of Bitcoin, I mean, go get the secure device. Like putting $10,000 of Bitcoin on a phone is a really bad idea. But if you just have that tiny amount. Well, it's, well, it's a bit like uh, I've got my wallet in my pocket and I've got my bank account. Um, if I've got 10, 20,000 pounds, dollars, whatever, I'm not going to keep that in my wallet and walk around the streets with it. Or you know, leave it in my car. You know, I might have a hundred, couple hundred dollars in that wallet, but the rest I'm going to leave in my bank account, where it's a bit more secure. It's a, it's a kind of similar scenario as well, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So I think the thing to get across then is that there are different wallets that people should be using, therefore, for different scenarios. Listen, I have a desktop wallet. I have a software wallet on my mobile. I have hardware wallets. I also have three hardware wallets used for a multi-sig. So look, I'm at that point where I understand the different types of wallets and what they're used for. But I think for some people, especially the new people coming in, we should try and break down what the difference is. And I think a starting point is to explain the difference between a hot and a cold wallet. Do you want to start with that? Yeah, so um, you know, a hot wallet would just be that, that wallet you put on your phone. Like that's something that has the actual private keys that can spend the money on a computer or device that has a network connection. Like it, it is possible for people to connect to that computer and try to mess with it over the internet. Absolutely, utterly horrible way to store large sums of money. Like if you just want to have some pocket change or spending money, you know, stuff like that, perfectly reasonable solution. But a cold storage wallet where people should be keeping most of their their savings or net worth in Bitcoin is where you separate those keys that can actually spend the money. And that's not on the network machine. So like that would be, say, you know, Spectre on your desktop, um, like like you set up last time um, with the actual private keys on something like a cold card. Because that way, you know, yes, people can still connect to that computer and they can try to play games with it, but they have to physically get a hold of that cold card to get those keys that can spend your money. And so, like, that is the most binary kind of divide between different types of wallets. And, you know, just as simple as this, like, any large sum of money should never be sitting in a hot wallet. It should go to a cold storage wallet. Okay. So if I talk about my personal wallet journey, my very first wallet was within the exchange I used when I first bought some Bitcoin on Coinbase. My Bitcoin sat in that wallet. And then uh, I had a software wallet on my phone. And similar to what you just said, it was like a very small amount that I transferred into it. My next step was go to a hardware wallet. And I think the first one I had was a Ledger. And then I went to a multi-sig uh, as kind of uh, uh, to kind of go to that deep cold storage. Let's work through each one of those so people understand it. So 
even when they have an exchange account, the Bitcoin they have there is in a wallet, right? Yeah. Like the, those coins have to be tied to some key somewhere that somebody's holding or they can't exist. So yeah, that, that is a very important thing to think about. You know, if you just leave your coins on Coinbase, you might not have to worry about keeping those keys safe um, in order to protect your money, but somebody does. Like whether you have the keys or not, somebody always has to keep those keys safe. Otherwise, your money's at risk. And with something like Coinbase, do they maintain a separate wallet for every individual user? Like a separate, almost like a separate bank account? Or do they keep all of the Bitcoin in one giant wallet? You see your balance that comes just from a database. And when you choose to withdraw it, they send it from their big giant database. Yeah, it's it's the the latter. Um, there there's no segregation. Everything is just kind of in Coinbase's wallets and UTXOs. Um, although I I will say they do have a service called a vault, which is it's kind of like it's pretty much like the Unchained Capital multisig, where they have one of the keys that's been around forever. But like that type of of service is really the only situation where you're going to have coins kind of in the hand of someone else, so to say, um, although not entirely because of multisig. Um, any other situation, it's just that that business has it in its own keys. Nothing is separated based on users' accounts. Right. So therefore, to say you have a wallet with Coinbase is actually slightly mis- misleading. What you have is a, a login and a balance of which balance of which of what you an IOU from their big wallet you don't actually have your own wallet you mm-hmm. just essentially have a, a balance on your account so to say your bitcoin is stored in a wallet but it's not your wallet it is their wallet okay that makes sense okay so i've decided to withdraw out my 100 dollars i've got myself a software wallet what should i be thinking about with that when i first set it up anything i need to be thinking about well obviously any wallet no matter what it is, your word seed. Keeping that, backing that up properly, making sure that's safe. Okay, what is my word seed? Can you explain that to me? All right, so let's, let's try this. Um, when you generate a Bitcoin private key, you just pick a really large random number and that's your private key. Just a very long string of zeros and ones. Now, the way wallets work nowadays is you make that one original key, and then from that, you can make as many keys as you want. Now, okay, that, that big random number, obviously, if you just expect people to write down 0100110 um, and not screw up a single digit of that, that's never going to happen. <laughs> so what developers did is they made this special dictionary of um, 2,048 words. And pretty much every one of those words has a a definition, so to say, of a very specific 11-digit binary number. And so each 11-digit binary number there could be maps to exactly one of these words. And so this mm-hmm. way, when, when your wallet generates this really large random number that is going to generate all of your private keys, it translates the number 
into the words in the dictionary so that you wind up with 23 words instead of just zeros and ones. And then that last word, the 24th word, you pretty much just hash the first 23 and then make kind of take that um, in the numerical value and add on like the last 11 digits um, of zeros and ones and turn that into a word. And that's kind of like a safety check because when you enter in those 23 words, it's going to map the 24th one to like a safety check of the other 23. So if you kind of type in a seed and any of the words are screwed up, but you have the last word correct, the wallet will go, no, this is wrong. And we know it's wrong because that last word isn't what it's supposed to be because all the other ones got messed up. And so the entire point of this is just to make sure that when the user goes to back up their keys, they have something they're used to reading, used to handling words instead of just a really long, you know, binary number that nine out of 10 people would probably copy down wrong. Okay, so let me try and translate into what I think is super, in- super easy language. The wallet itself has this super long set of numbers, right? That is essentially the ID for that wallet. And if you know that, you, you can restore that wallet. I, I wouldn't call it an ID so much as a, I, I would call it more of a password than the ID in an analogy. Okay, that's a password. But, 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 but to make it simpler for people creating wallets, rather than write down this thing that you can get wrong, it's much easier to write down words uh, and memorize them. So strictly speaking, for anyone listening to this who's creating their first wallet, all they need to know is they need to write down and store We'll come back to writing itself because that's an issue. But they need to store those 24 words because that is the password to their wallet. If that wallet is ever destroyed or anything goes wrong with it, say it's a mobile phone wallet and they lose their phone, they can download the wallet again, put in those 24 words, and it will restore that wallet for them. Mm-hmm. Like th- Those words are your money as far as like the simplest thing anyone should be thinking. Right. Those words are your money. That's your backup. Okay, so I get my first wallet. I set it up. I send my $100 of Bitcoin to it. The very first thing I should do is back up those words. Now, everybody has their own way of doing this. What is the best way to back up these words? Is there any kind of like process? I mean, mine is as follows, right? The very first thing I do is write them down. And then with that wallet, I send the $100 in. I then wipe that wallet. And then I restore it from the 24 words to check that I've written them down correctly. And I check that the balance is restored. That's the process I go through for the creation of a new wallet. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, You know, obviously, I don't personally do anything like that anymore. But if there is the slightest bit of uncertainty, of nervousness, of, of doubt that you did something right, then you absolutely should do that. You should send a small amount first, make sure that you can recover it properly before you send larger amounts of money. Like you, you should not be skipping something like that until you personally feel comfortable enough managing, you know, your Bitcoin that you do not actually feel worried like that. If, if you feel any doubt or any worry, 
absolutely like test things like that first before you send a significant amount of money. All right. So anyone listening, first time, if you get a wallet, it's going to ask you to back up your seed words. Do. Just to begin with, just write them down clearly. <laughs> clearly. Do you know what I say clearly? Because once I've written them down, I couldn't read back one of the words. So write them down clearly. Send a few dollars in. Wipe the wallet. Like delete it if it's on your phone. Restore it. Put in those seed words and check that those few dollars still exist. And if you've done, you have written down that master password correctly. But from that point of backing them up, what do you recommend? Put, keep them on that piece of paper, stick that piece of paper under the bed in the in the attic. Is that a good way of backing up your seed words? Well, I mean, it, it's entirely dependent on the risks that you want to protect yourself from. Um, okay. Obviously, you know, a piece of paper is okay, but there are numerous, um, you know, pieces of metal um, that will allow you to record this. Like there are products where you get little tiles with letters on them and you can slide them into a slot and lock them. There's tools where you can literally take um, a hammer and smash the letters into a plain piece of metal. Um, I, I think there's also capsules too, where you can just like slide the, uh, the metal um, letters in order into a lock tube. Obviously, that is going to be way better than a piece of paper, say, if your house catches fire and burns down. Um, but, you know, as far as what you actually record those words on, um, just start with the piece of paper and get it done. But as time goes on, you should think about making that more durable with things like the, these metal products that you can store your seed on because, you know, as time goes on, you know, life changes, your, your environment mm -hmm. around you changes, you know, you might not worry about your house burning down this year, but a couple years from now, I don't know, society could be going crazy and nut jobs run around at night, throwing Molotov cocktails at random houses. So it's just like start first with actually just getting it down on paper. But over time, the longer you hold that, you should be thinking about making that backup of those words as, you know, resilient as possible to different things that could go wrong in your life. And I guess, you know, like uh, with me, I'm a, I'm a little bit more carefree about backing up the words to a software wallet with $100 in than I am to, say, a hardware wallet that might have, say, a whole Bitcoin in it. You know, there's different risks uh, that you can take, which is fair. One of these metal devices I had... As I remember, I only had to record, was it the first three or four letters of each word? Yeah, it's the, the first four. Um, because first four. The, the whole structure of the, the dictionary that was made for this, um, all of the words were specifically chosen so that there are no words um, that kind of could get confused. You know what I mean? Like everything okay. was structured so that. Um, as many words as possible have completely different, um, you know, letter structures. So you can't confuse them. Like the, the only kind of exception to that is kind of, it's, it's probably not in the actual dictionary, but you know, like the word 10 versus tent, like there yeah. are similarities in the words there, but maybe you shouldn't be playing with Bitcoin if you confuse the word 10 with tent. 
Next up, I talk to Shinobi more about wallets, but before that, I've got a message from my amazing sponsors. Okay, we're gonna kick off with Kraken, which is my favorite place for buying and selling Bitcoin, and it's the only place I use right now for buying and selling Bitcoin. Now, Kraken is consistently rated the best and most secure crypto exchange, and as you know, because I say it every week, security is really important to me. But on top of that, they have the best in class in customer service. So if you've got an issue, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever it is, if you reach out to them, they're going to get that fixed for you. And if you want to start trading Bitcoin, they have all the tools you could possibly need. So listen, whatever your level of experience, at Kraken.com, it couldn't be easier to sign up and start trading Bitcoin. They also have a beautiful mobile-first app, so you can trade Bitcoin on the go. And with their margin trading futures and OTC desk, Kraken has every option covered for you. There is no better place to trade Bitcoin. You can find out more at Kraken.com or download the app. It's available for the iPhone and Android. Just search for Kraken Pro, which is K-R-A-K-E-N-P-R-O. Next up, we have BlockFi. Let's talk about their big announcement. Happened before Christmas. They are imminently going to be launching a Bitcoin Rewards Visa credit card, where you can earn a 1.5% rewards in Bitcoin on all card purchases. As you know, I cannot wait to get this. I cannot wait to start stacking sats with all my Bitcoin purchases. I think this is a massive game changer. Very, very excited about this. They have opened up the waitlist to everyone, so you do not have to be a BlockFi account holder to join that waitlist. And if you want to find out more, I do always say do your own research, but head over to BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. And lastly, we're going to finish up with another wallet, Ledger. Mentioned in the show, discussed in the show, now Ledger was the first wallet I ever used. About four years, well, it's over four years ago now. It's like four years and two months when I got back into Bitcoin and I first started reading about wallets and you needed to have a hardware wallet. It was a Nano S that I went with from Ledger and I'm still using that exact same device today. Now, I'll tell you why I like Ledger. It all comes down to UX. The device itself is super easy to use. It's obviously robust. It's survived four years of a moron like me holding it, but also the Ledger Live, where you can safely manage your Bitcoin itself, is beautifully designed. It's so easy to use. On top of that, if you're an Android phone user, you can actually connect your Nano S to the phone to safely manage your Bitcoin. So it's a very cool device, worth checking out. If you want to find out more, you can head over to ledger.com. That is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. All right, cool. So I've got my wallet, backed up my private, uh, I've packed up my seed words, so I've got my master password should anything happen. So in terms of this wallet, if I want to send and receive Bitcoin, I've just got these very you know, basic instructions. I put in the address, I click send, and I confirm, and it goes. And if I want to receive, I click receive, and I get the address, and I give it out to somebody else. But you're talking about these public and private keys. Do I need to know what these are? Well, to at least some degree, yes. Um, you 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 have to understand the dif- the difference between the two at least in in the sense of it's perfectly okay um, to send somebody a public key or an address to send you money, but don't send them the private key. <laughs> yeah, of course, because they, if somebody has your private key, they can steal your Bitcoin. But honestly, Shinobi, I can't remember a time when I've used a wallet like this that it's ever showed me a private key. I mean, it may have, but I can't remember it. I just click send and it goes. Um, yeah. But I do realize when I want to receive Bitcoin, it gives me an address, a big string of letters, and I do give that to somebody. So um, am I missing something? Are these wallets actually exposing my private key to me? Um, visually, no. But I mean, every time 
with a software wallet that you go to sign something, um, you know, whether it just does it when the wallet boots up, whether it's password protected, like those keys have to be unencrypted and actually put in the computer memory to actually sign that. So whether that's happening on your desktop where, you know, other things running on the computer could potentially grab that or whether that's happening on a device like a cold card where you don't have to worry about that because it's not connected to anything like that device actually has to have that private key in some way that's accessible. And now whether that's hidden from the user um, completely, whether the user can only get that through an advanced option or menu um, that's kind of up the different wallet. But like that key, when you sign something, is available there in that machine. Like that, there is some way if you dig around and figure out how that you as a user could directly access that. Okay, well, let's break down the keys. Let's do that first. So, explain to me what the public key actually is. So, the public key is pretty much just the result of multiplying the private key. Um, by a special point on a graph um, that's kind of the crypto curve that Bitcoin uses. And it's, it's really just that simple. Like you take the private key, you take this number that's special in the cryptography that Bitcoin uses, and you just multiply them and bam, that's your public key. And kind of the, the whole relationship there is all of the the crypto that allows you to sign something to verify that a signature um, is correct, it just involves the relationship between that private key, the special number, and the public key that you get from multiplying those two. And the fact that you can do other kinds of math to you know, make this signature without revealing the private key, to verify this signature only using the public key, and... Yeah, it's the the key thing to remember if you actually want to understand the math here is that you just make the private key with a totally random number. And then that public key, that address, you're actually generating that directly from the private key. So everything always starts with the private key. Right. But I don't really know most of what that is you've just talked about. I've definitely never used that, even in my four years, consciously. <laughs> but I've heard about it, right? But what actually is the public key? What does it do? And it, what's it for? It allows people to lock a UTXO to that public key. And the only way to unlock it is to prove you can sign with the private key that matches to that public key. So like think about like the public key as the padlock that you lock bitcoins with and the private key is the actual key you can use to unlock that. Okay. So we covered UTXOs before. Essentially is every single UTXO on the ledger linked to a public key. Okay, so um the general answer for newbies is yes. Um, the Shinobi answer is technically, strictly speaking, they don't have to be. <laughs> okay. Because I'm trying to under, like, like, this is going to probably go to a little bit deeper about how Bitcoin works, right? In that 
Okay, so when I go into my wallet, my wallet has my public key. Does it? What does it do? Does it scan the blockchain and find all the UTXOs associated with that public key, and therefore it knows? Exactly. That that is exactly what the wallet does to find your balance. It just takes all of those public keys and it checks the blockchain and goes find any UTXO locked to any of these public keys. And what it scans through all the blocks. Mm-hmm. So so basically, all the Bitcoin I hold, which is basically all the UTXOs that are mine, are distributed randomly through all the various blocks on the blockchain. And so my wallet goes in and says, right, these are all your UTXOs associated with your public key, and it displays them for me. But in terms of where they exist in Bitcoin, you know, I could have some UTXOs that are sat next to yours in a specific block. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's... Uh, to me, it's kind of silly to to think about things in those terms, but you know that yeah, that that is a helpful way I think for new people to think about it. Well, I would I, the reason I'm thinking about it like this is because I always assumed, look, my wallet opens and it knows how much you know, Bitcoin I've had, and for just some reason, I assumed all my Bitcoin, all my Bitcoin, UTXOs were all nice and neatly in one place together. But strictly speaking, what it seems to me is happening is the wallet is going through the blockchain, scanning it with my public key, and going right. These are all your UTXOs, so we'll list them out. And then this is the value of each one, so here's your total. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, like I just, the, like last week, I just loaded up an open dime to, to give to somebody to hopefully push them over the hump. Like that UTXO, that's in the last couple of weeks of blocks. I also have UTXOs created years ago <laughs> that still haven't moved since being created in that block years and years back. So what does the wallet do? Does it just go block by block, show me all the unspent transactions, is this matched to your a public key? Yep, right, tick, we'll put that, we'll associate that with in your wallet. That's essentially what it does. So let me ask you another question. So, because this, this is actually, thinking about it like this, it'd be interesting to get the feedback on this. This is, even just understanding this now, what we've just gone through now is just literally leveled up my understanding of Bitcoin a bit more. Because as a UX person, like I said, I just imagined there's like my wallet and all my UTXOs somehow in the Bitcoin blockchain were all in mine, but they're not. They're all just scattered through it, which is kind of interesting. Um, So at the point I go to spend one of my UTXOs, say I've got a UTXO in block 623,111, and it's half a Bitcoin, and I go to spend that, and I send that to Shinobi, Okay, what does the blockchain do to know that one's been spent? Because that block is sealed, right? The one that it's in, as an unspent, it's sealed. Does it have to look if it's been spent later on? No, um, it, like any node in the network will do that automatically. Like um, okay. pre- pretty much every node has, in addition to all the blocks, if they want to keep them, they have the UTXO set. So it's just... A, a collection of all the outputs from every transaction that have not been spent yet. And so when you go to spend that, if that coin you're trying to spend is not part of that set, then the network will just go invalid transaction. Like that, that is checked immediately upon the uh, transaction being submitted to the network. So actually, so what my wallet is doing is checking... It's going via a node to check all the unspent transactions. Mm-hmm. 
And there, there's okay. a couple ways like that can work under the hood. Like, you know, if you're using your own node and say you import a, a wallet with something like Spectre, that will literally have to go scan block by block and make sure, you know, your history is displayed. Um, coins that you used to have and spent um, show up in your wallet and go through all of that. Um, no, there's a newer feature in nodes not many wallets are using so far where you can just directly check the UTXO set. So find all of the coins that are unspent right now that you own, but that won't um, show past transaction history because it's just checking the UTXO set instead of the whole block history. And then most light wallets out there um, just hook up to a node that kind of makes a... um, a special like index of all the data that's just all the individual transactions. And so when you're connecting to um, a light wallet's backend, most of the time it's just going to check that database of like individual transactions instead of scanning the whole chain or, um, you know, checking the UTXO set. And so it's like there, there's these couple different ways it happens in the backend. But ultimately, that wallet has to find those UTXOs somehow through one of these methods to be able to show you the money that you have. Is there any way my node, sorry, my wallet could connect to, a, a, I don't know, a, a rogue node, which has a, 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 a old set or a fake set of UTXOs and tells me a wrong balance? Is that something that can happen? Um, and you know, this is exactly why, um, you know, so many Bitcoiners are so ardent about running your own node because you Mm -hmm. know, you are in control of that thing, telling your wallet this kind of information. And, um, this is also why, you know, most light wallets, um, will correct or connect to a trusted backend that the user is trusting to not lie to them instead of random nodes on the network like light wallets used to do. Okay, but if he, even if it's connected to a uh, you know a rogue set of UTXOs and it tells me I've got a UTXO which is mine which isn't it has been spent even if I if I then try and spend it that's not going to work right that's going to be rejected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's zero chance the actual network would let you spend that. Okay. Okay, so basically what a wallet does, okay, just to reiterate, it goes and checks all the unspent transactions, all the ones linked with my public key, it tells me which are mine, and then it gets my balance. At the point then that I want to send uh, Shinobi, I want to send Shinobi a Bitcoin, and that's going to be made off of two UTXOs in my list, they're both half a Bitcoin. When I click send, what actually is happening? This is obviously where my private key is used, but what is actually happening? You'll say a a transaction is being signed, but what does that actually mean? So pretty much um, your wallet's just going to show you the transaction, which coins you're spending, um, which new UTXOs you're creating, so whoever you're sending money to, and then whatever change is left over going back to a UTXO you control. And it's just going to show you this. And when you click sign, um, it pretty much just hashes the transaction 
And then your private key signs that hash. So you pretty much just kind of multiply that hash by the private key in, in simplest terms. And that's the signature. Like anybody can look at the public keys involved in the coins you're spending, prove that this signature was actually made by the private keys that correspond to that. And then it just blasts it off to the Bitcoin network and it eventually winds up in a block. Right. So the software automatically just does the, the stuff which signs it, creates what it needs to create to send to the Bitcoin network. The Bitcoin network then validates whether that private key can sign that public key. Mm -hmm. And if it can, it accepts the transaction. And if it can't, it rejects it. Yep. And it goes into the meme pool, the mempool, sorry. The meme pool. <laughs> the meme pool. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Mm -hmm. Do you know what? Exactly. I've uh, been trying to... You know, I've been trying to think of a, we've been trying to come up for a holding name for the company that defines what Bitcoin did and never read it since under. I think meme pool would be great. There you go. I bet someone's got that. Hey, why not? Um, okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, but let's try, let's try and go in even simpler terms. So I want to send the transaction. It gets that UTXO. It multiplies, it hashes it with my private key. How is my private key stored on my device, in my wallet, and how, how is that prevented from someone actually seeing what that is? Well, in the case of a hardware wallet, um, which again, anybody with significant amounts of money should be using, um, it's because it's either physically not connected to the computer or... Mm -hmm the connection it has to the computer is very limited and secured. So that key is only actually on that special device. So unless somebody can either physically take that device or break, um, if it's a wallet that actually does connect to a computer, the security between that connection, then that key never leaves that device, so it should be safe. Um, now, any software wallet, like on your desktop that actually keeps the private keys on your desktop or the same thing on your phone. Um, any wallet that is not designed by an incompetent idiot will encrypt your private keys with a PIN code or a, a password or something, and they're stored encrypted. But when you actually go to sign a transaction, those keys have to be decrypted to actually sign. And so for that time period that you're signing a transaction, um, that key is exposed on your normal computer and it could potentially be compromised. Okay, I'm going to work through this again. Okay, so my wallet has picked out the UTXO. It knows what it is because of my public key. I want to send it to you, so I need to sign it with the private key. And the private key itself is, did you say, is derived from the public key? No, the, the vice versa. The the public key vice versa. is derived from the private key. Right. Okay. So I sign the transaction. Okay, with the public uh, with the private key, that is sent off to the network. The network can check it's a valid transaction because it uses the public key to ensure that the hash is correct. That the the signature is correct. But but yeah, yeah, the signature is correct. It it and and because. Because only that public key can be matched to that private key. Mm -hmm. 
Shit, I've learned so much more today. I've literally 10x my uh, Bitcoin understanding today. All right, cool. Okay, so that's done. I get all that. That's great. Okay, and that's a software wallet, and most of that will happen in the background, but I understand how it's working now. Okay, great. I'm now pretty into Bitcoin, Shinobi. I've bought $10,000 worth. I need a hardware wallet. There, there are three main ones on the market. You know, and for complete transparency, look, Ledger are a sponsor of mine. Um, I am also a fan of Cold Card and friends with Rodolfo. I do have a Trezor. Um, there are three devices. I think all are worth addressing because I personally think each one, well, I think certainly between Ledger and Cold Card, each one suits a different person. I do have... Uh, I have had feedback that there are issues with Trezor. Um, your personal feedback would be uh, valid here if you want to talk about it. What do you think of Trezor? Mm, I mean, honestly, I'd rather kind of just make a general comment before we go into like nitpicking specific brands here. Um, you know, let, let, let's look at things in terms of category first. Um, you know, okay. let's call the first category Trezor. Um, We'll call the second category ledger, and we'll call the third category cold card. So, okay. a Trezor, um, one, you have to actually plug that into your computer. And two, mm-hmm. there is no secure chip on that. Like, there is no special security chip on that that physically secures that device if somebody actually like got their hands on it. Now, that is, strictly speaking, way better than just having your private key sitting on your laptop. But it mm-hmm. does not have that physical security where if somebody got their, their hands on the device, there is that secure chip protecting your private keys that costs lots and lots of money to break and get past. Well, can I ask a question there? A sec- so if, I've, if I found someone's treasure... I'm not going to be able to do that, but someone with the right equipment and technology could probably hack the device. Um, yeah. Um, if, if you, um, and this, I want to be clear, I'm speaking purely about old vulnerabilities that have been patched in the most recent firmware. But if okay. you found uh, someone's old Trezor that they hadn't updated the firmware in a long time, um, I could probably break that with like $70 of equipment. And get the private keys right, off. Okay. Of now, okay. Ledger is the second category. They have a secure chip like that, but it's everything is closed source, and everything happens on that chip. So it's it does have some degree of, of physical security, um, unless that chip is is broken. That will make it very hard to get your keys off of it. But it's a completely closed source system. You cannot audit that. Now, cold card with the third category, it's kind of like a hybrid between the two. It has a regular open chip like the Trezor, but it also has a closed secure chip like the Ledger. But the thing is with the cold card, they work together in a way where um, the trust that you place in that secure chip Breaking that secure chip alone is not enough to get your keys. You have to break the other open chip as well. 
And so the, the way those two things kind of work together is you get the best of both worlds. Like you have a, okay. a very large open stack that you can audit everything except the secure chip, but the secure chip is only kind of adding extra security. Like that, if that's broken, it doesn't take away from any of the security of anything else. And so, so should everyone just use a cold card? I mean, that's what I personally use and I would personally recommend for large amounts of money, but it's just really, you have to kind of analyze these categories and think about, do you really want or feel the need for that physical security where if somebody actually got your hand or their hands on your, your device, like it would be very expensive for them to steal your money or do you not care about that? And how much trust do you want to place in the maker of that device? Like, do you want the ability to audit and verify the product that they're sending you to the best degree that you can? Or do you not care about that and you're just, you, you're okay trusting this company? So like those so is, yeah. are the two things. So I've got a, I've got a, personal recommendation on that because I have all three devices like I say for my multi-sig and we'll come to that so I've used all three devices uh, Trezor I've always felt a little slightly uneasy as it's browser based and I don't know why but I just have um, cold card I love um, because of everything you said in terms of the design and the security setup but I think for the people listening to this show, and look, trans, full transparency, they are a sponsor. But at the same time, I've uh, the first wallet I ever got was a Ledger Nano S, and I've used it for four years. I think the main difference between the two is if you're going to use a Ledger, you're going to download the software, which is Ledger Live. You're going to plug it in. It's very easy UX. It takes you through to their software to uh, receive and send Bitcoin. That's super easy. The UX is, I think it's consumer-friendly. Whereas with something like cold card, you're going to need to connect it to another wallet, something like Spectre. And I think that is just, I think that's a level above. And I think that requires a certain amount of experience. Now, that is not to say that people couldn't do it. You know, and absolutely they could. But also based on my understanding of the technical skills that people have, that many people have, that might be a big leap for them if they're not particularly technical on the, with their first hardware wallet. Am I being fair? I mean, with, with some wallets, but I mean, it, it's really about knowing the wallets. Like uh, Electrum, mm. if a user can handle using Electrum, very easy to set up a cold card with. Um, or um, Wasabi Wallet, the, very easy to just set that up and use cold card with. I mean, I, I, w I would personally say just because I don't like trusting completely closed systems like unless you are that terrified of not being able to understand it like get the cold card take some time to look at it and play with it yeah i mean that's fair that it comes down to that don't trust verify thing whereas i'm from that world whereby well like i can't audit the code anyway um i require a lot of the technical side of things being obfuscated for me through uh, UX. So that's why something like Ledger has been a great first device for me. At the same time, I have gone through that journey of also learning cold card. I actually think for some people as well, it's probably worth trying, if you've got enough Bitcoin, trying out multiple wallets and seeing which one works for you as well. Um, 
but yeah, okay, fair enough. Okay, so I've migrated from a software wallet. I've got a hardware wallet. I'm using a hardware wallet. Is there anything else I need to be thinking about with regards to them, like separate from my uh, software wallet on my laptop? Oh, sorry, on my phone? I mean, just, you know, really physical security. I mean, that that's really the the big threat there is in my mind, if somebody can actually physically get their hands on your device. Um, and now that's kind of why I harp on the physical security so or so much. Because if you still have your word seed, if that wasn't compromised and somebody stole your cold card, um, the, the Mark II, the last um, version, not the current one, Ledger actually did a um, security test where they bought hundreds of thousands of dollars of equipment and tested like literally peeling off um, layer by layer the secure chip so they could break it. And they they succeeded, but they showed that it literally took $100,000 plus of equipment and serious expertise needed to operate that equipment to break it. So like if somebody stole my cold card, I could not notice for a week and then go, oh, and just move my coins to a new seed. And it's probably going to take that person if they even have any chance of, of getting those tools and learning how to use them another month or two to break it. Whereas, you know, mm-hmm. a treasure, if that treasure is out of date and the firmware is not the current firmware, there are numerous vulnerabilities that would allow me to just put together a little $70 device and I have your private keys now. Okay. Okay. I get it. That makes sense. Okay. So next step, I've got my $10,000 of Bitcoin. I keep stacking over and over. Also, we go through a book market and suddenly I've got quarter of a million, half a million dollars of Bitcoin, but it's all stored on this single hardware device. And I'm personally starting to feel a little bit vulnerable for a number of reasons. You know, what if there's a, a house fire and you know, and, and I lose the device, and for some reason my backup seed melts? What if uh, someone comes to my house with a five dollar wrench and threatens me? Uh, you know, is there a way of becoming even more secure? And this is where about ten months ago I signed up for Casa and went for a multi-sig solution, just protect myself against all those scenarios. I don't want to go too deep on this now. I know there are multi-sig solutions that people can set up themselves. And again, you know, for transparency, Casa are our sponsor. But for someone like me, it's just so easy to set up and manage. But like, let's just go with absolute basics of what a multi-sig is and what it means. Just the way that a UTXO is locked to a single public key um, so that you have to sign with the right private key to spend it. Um, you can lock it to multiple keys. Like you can you can add three keys to that lock. You can have five keys. You can require all of the keys to sign it. You can require like a two-thirds majority to sign it. Um, and that way you can take the different sets of keys that lock this and you can, you know, take extra steps to secure them. Like you can spread them around so that they're not close to each other. You can leave one set with like a family member that you trust really well so that that's not around you. You can make sure that like 
like at your your primary residence, you do not have all of the keys necessary to spend your coin at your primary residence. So if someone kicks your door in, you are literally incapable of giving them your money. And just the allowing multiple keys to control that lock, you can take a lot more steps like that to safeguard your keys. Like if you have a two of three multi-sig and you only have one set of keys at your house, when that guy kicks your door in, you literally can't give him that money without going and kicking someone else's door in and this becoming a crazier and more risky situation for that person. But if you have all of your coins on a single, you know, a single key address, when he kicks that door in, he's just taking your seed and there goes your money. Right. That's totally relevant. So I'll talk about it from my view of becoming a CASA user and, and explain how I understand it. So my CASA is a three or five multi-sig. I know they offer a two or three. Uh, I think they offer like a three or six, which includes an additional key for inheritance planning. But let's go with the three or five to keep it really easy to understand. One key is on the phone. Uh, one key CASA has. Uh, I hold the other three keys. To sign any transaction, I just have to uh, create the transaction in Casa, and I have to like go to three of the devices. Now, one does on the phone immediately. If I keep one in the house, that's the second one. But the third and fourth key can be geographically distributed. You know, not not even just a friends around the corner or a family member, like in another country, to give that total protection. But I have to go through that process of at least signing three of those keys to send that Bitcoin. So, for anyone listening, like the idea being is that. As Shinobi says, if someone comes and attacks me, yes, I have two keys here, but that Bitcoin can't be spent without the third key. So they have to get on a plane with me, <laughs> go to where that third key is, and force me to. So it, it basically it makes the situation too difficult or too risky for them to threaten me. But there are other benefits, right? You've got the benefits of not losing a device, personal mistakes. You, know, you can lose a key, and then you can replace that key. So that multi-sig solution is a much better solution for for someone who's got larger amounts of Bitcoin as well. Is that fair? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it, it does come with the requirement that you have to keep all of the public keys of every key in the multi-sig, even if you're not going to sign with that key. Otherwise, you don't have the information needed to actually open the lock. But yeah, I mean, if you have <laughs> enough money to your name in Bitcoin, I mean, keeping another piece of thing on paper um, or another thing on a piece of paper or um, having all of that money be in a lot riskier situation. Um, you know, it's pretty obvious to me. Most people are probably going to pick the, write the extra thing down on paper <laughs> and get a lot more security. Well, so an interesting thing on my multi-sig, which I didn't realize when setting it up, is I don't, because it's a multi-sig, I don't keep store a backup of the seed for those wallets. Because what happens is that's an actual vulnerability now. Um, what I actually do is if I lose one of my keys, I just swap that one out. I mean, I, I know... I know Casa is really big on the not doing seed backups. Um, for their product, but personally, I would still recommend um, 
you know, having seed backups, even for a multi-sig like that, if you're going to set it up yourself outside of like an ecosystem like Casa. That's fair. Okay. I think right now we've covered a good amount of stuff in wallets. There is the uh, amazing subject of XPubs, which we've not talked about, and uh, um, which we should touch at another point. But I think knowing the level of the audience and the feedback I've got for the show so far, covering tech stuff, I think that's a good amount right now. How do you feel? Well, I mean... Have I missed anything that you think we should add? I think that's fair, but I think we should at least go into the... um a little more on the seed backup trade-offs. Okay. Um, Let's do it. So, you know, when we talked about that earlier, we were mostly just talking about what to store that on, you know, things like paper versus Mm -hmm. uh, steel. But we we didn't really get too much into, like, how to store that, like, where to store that. And I I just Mm -hmm. feel like... This is kind of one of those things that is an open question. And even somebody like me, I'm not so sure that how I'm handling things now is good enough. I'm not sure. Like, I'm not going to keep doing things that I'm doing right now, five or 10 years from now. And this is kind of just an open question about like, what is the best way to do this? Like, I I have my seed backups. Um, I physically control them. But a lot of people mm-hmm. talk about, you know, sharing copies of that, say, with friends or family. And I just want to drive home like that. You are trusting whoever you give a copy of your seed to keep safe for you with your money. Like that, like they have your money. If they want to stab you in the back, um, you guys have a fight and they decide, fuck you, they have your money. So Mm -hmm. if you are not completely trusting that no matter what happens between you two, that person will be honest, will hold that for you and not take your money. And you're going to, you know, back up your seed with a copy with other people like that. Use a decent passphrase. Like, don't, don't go crazy and, like, a bunch of, like, 30 random characters that you might forget. But put your coins in a passphrase wallet on your seed so that there is something between that seed and your money if you do not trust that person with your life. And secondly, another important... Can we talk about that? What do you mean a pass... What do you mean put a passphrase on that seed? So you you can effectively take your seed um, and enter a passphrase. So like you're adding an extra word um, that's not part of that special dictionary that we talk about. And then it just kind of adds that, um, hashes it, and makes a, a new key set that's entirely unrelated to the keys that come from your main seed. So like you you need to remember that passphrase plus your word seed to generate those keys. So that that is, you know, a very good way to kind of defend yourself against really any kind of threat model where you're worried somebody could get their hands on your word seed. But how does that work in a scenario? Say I've got myself a hardware device, and when I'm setting it up, it's telling me to back up my seed phrase. How do I add? Will it? Will, will that wallet give me the option for that additional? 
um, it, it depends entirely on the software and the hardware that you're using. Um, all hardware wallets that I'm aware of support it, although the way to enter it is going to be different. And most of the software wallets out there support it. Interesting. Let me ask you something. If I create a wallet with one, you know, you know, one piece of software or one hardware device and I back up the seed phrase, can I use that seed phrase in any other hardware wallet? Or any, sorry, any other wallet to restore myself? Yeah, um, as long as it supports the standard, which I'm not aware of anything that doesn't at this point. Um, yeah, that, that word seed should be compatible in any other hardware wallet, any other software wallet out there. Okay. So in terms of uh, storing this seed, there's a bunch of options. You could hide it somewhere deep in your house where no one would look. You could bury it in your garden. You could use a safety deposit box. You could use a friend or family. Each of those scenarios still has a risk that somebody finds it. What about the idea that you split it, that you store half of your seed words nope. on one place and half another? No. Um, that is a horrible idea. Um, you lose a lot of security in terms of like the mathematical security when people um, find part of your word seed. Like, and, and this this is kind of counterintuitive, but for every single word in your word seed that somebody is able to compromise, you're actually cutting in half how hard it is for them to guess the rest of your seeds. So it's not just like you, you know, it gets 1% like easier, another percent easier. Like, no, every word is, it's half as difficult. So that gets cut in half every time. But they have a chance, if you are storing it as you have before, if you store it as the whole seed together, if they find it, they have the whole seed. Whereas if you split it in two, they can only find half of it. So I would have thought you're at least giving yourself more protection so somebody find it because they've only found half. It's just like, it's a big risk. And also you should be doing this if you're going to do something like this. Um, it sh you should not just be cutting things in half like that. Um, like there are methods where you can actually split the uh, the word seed into three um, cards. Like there there's templates out there for this, and um, I think it's like if you have um, twenty four words, like each of them has like sixteen words or something, but they're different, so that any two of those cards would be enough to get your whole seed back from. But, you know, if, you, if you're going to consider splitting your seed, look for things like that and go read about, like, the kind of risks and the benefits of doing that. Don't just naively, like, cut your seed in half and then do something like that. So really, wallets is a, is a journey, and it's a journey of not just how you, you know, use a wallet and how you uh, interact with the wallet. It's actually a, it's a journey of security. So really, you know, anyone listening should uh, really kind of go through the steps that we've talked about, try the different uh, types of wallets and, and gradually build up their own confidence, read a lot, learn a lot about this and go step by step. It's really a personal journey, right? Yeah. And I mean, you know, some of this is just open questions. Like, you know, I, I don't think that I have 
a handle on where to store my seed or how to store my seed for the next 10 years. Right now, my attitude is pretty much just that's behind me and my gun. So good luck. Um, I'm not really comfortable with that being my plan for the rest of the life or my life. So like things like that, even I'm still trying to figure out like what is the best safest way to do this. You can see why, and I know it's controversial, but you can see why some people would prefer just to use a custodial solution rather than take ownership of their own private keys, especially if they were holding tens of millions of Bitcoin. They might feel a particular risk of making a mistake or some kind of threat, physical threat to them. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it really is a lot to think about, but you know, so is anything that you have to be responsible for yourself. You know what I mean? And yeah, I think people should strive to learn how to be responsible for these types of things. I mean, I understand why people wouldn't, but like you, you should push yourself. You, you should really try mm-hmm. to dive into this stuff and see all the benefits that, that you can get out of Bitcoin besides just watching your account balance in Coinbase be worth more and more money every day. Yeah, that's fair. All right, well, listen, look, Shinobi, this is great as ever. I think we've broken it down quite easy. I will share a whole bunch of stuff in the show notes of all the different wallets, um, uh, all the different solutions, like the things that people should be trying. And like, as we said, just like start step by step, just start with a basic wallet, you know, start practicing your own personal security, read up on it. And uh, in, and for most people, it's just a journey of figuring out as they go. So anything you want to add before we close out, dude? Uh, no, I think we pretty much plumbed through the whole outline pretty well. Nice one. Well, as ever, tell people where to find you. This might be the first time they've heard one of these shows. At Brian underscore trolls with a Z on Twitter. And you can also find a uh, podcast I do with uh, my friends Fudd and Janine at um, at Block Digest on Twitter. Uh, Hope everybody learned something today. Awesome, bro. Listen, I will see you shortly. Wonder what we're going to do next month. But take care, dude. And I hope the hangover is (laughs) okay. I'll live. <laughs> All right, how was that? Was that useful? Did you hear me kind of figuring my way out through Bitcoin? And I know it sounds dumb, right? And probably you'll be like, well, Pete, you are dumb. Um, because I've always you know, said I'm not technical, but I just never really realized how Bitcoin worked. I just made this assumption you had a wallet, and somehow when people send you Bitcoin, it kind of is associated with that wallet on the blockchain. Obviously, it isn't. And now I'm understanding a lot more about how the blockchain works and how your wallets um, interact with it, how your public and private keys work. Honestly, this was a real game-changing show for me. I know, four years on, I'm a moron. I should have known all this stuff. I just don't. I don't. I don't. But this was really helpful. So a massive shout-out and a massive thanks to Shinobi for this. Because, look, these tech shows don't do as well as the number go up. But while people enjoy those Bitcoin to Infinity podcasts, these are really valuable as well. I know that because the amount of emails I get. Honestly, I learned so much from these. And even though I don't struggle with using a wallet or sending transactions, some of the stuff behind the scenes I just wasn't aware of. And getting a better understanding how the system works is really useful. Anyway, look, I hope you enjoyed it. Do reach out to me, even if it's just to tell me what you did like or you didn't like. It's really helpful. You can email me on hello at whatbitcoindid.com or you can head over to Telegram and join my Telegram group. Um, If you want to support the show, I just, you know, these days I just want reviews. Head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. That will be super helpful. 
And yeah, check out Defiance, my other podcast. That's at defiance.news, or you can sign up to my newsletter. That's at neveredit.com. Have a great rest of your week. I've got a smashing show for you on Friday. I hope you'll enjoy that, and I'll see you all soon.